0: Welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz and Pastor Tony Trussoni. Good afternoon, Ben. How are you doing today, brother?
1: I'm doing okay. How about you?
0: Doing well, so i have gearing up for a lot of busy work and we've been remodeling some stuff around the house, so that's been exciting. So anything busy around your around your neck of the woods?
1: Uh, we're getting geared up for first season of T-Ball, my little boy, so um, that may be an adventure. Okay. Hopefully uh, I'm going to be out there coaching, so hopefully I don't take a, a bat, some part of my body, you know, it's a real danger at that age.
0: Now, you're going to do that because sports are for boys and a woman are just meant to, you know, clean up after it, right?
1: I mean, pretty much,
0: yeah. <laughs> we don't agree with this, <laughs> listeners, way. No, no. Well, I, I asked that to kind of segue into, I want to talk today about gender roles, really, about complementarianism, which is a big word we're going to define later in the next generations, and whether, you know, the Bible teaches, you know, that uh, woman, a woman's job is to, you know, make dinner and men's job is to, you know, go play t-ball with their boys after work, Right.
1: Well, I mean, for some, that that may be pushing it. It's more like sit down and you know drink a beer and watch sports on TV and That's sort of true. don't be bothered.
0: But. That's true. So, now I want to ask you, Ben. Do you ever uh, cook dinner or change diapers? Uh, and and related to that, does your wife ever take out the trash? And if so, does that make you a progressive woke guy?
1: <laughs> well, I rarely cook dinner. Every now and then. Uh, but when I, I cook, it tends to stress my wife out, and it actually relaxes her generally to cook. So, you know, it just is a better situation. Uh, I've done a lot of diapers in my day. Um, she may take out the trash more than me. I don't know. Um, I mean, she takes it out. I, I take it out. Um, but I don't think that that – I mean, I don't see any biblical prescriptions on that. Um, so uh, I, don't, I don't lose sleep over it.
0: Okay, you radical feminist. I'm kidding. (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, I love cooking dinner. Actually, it's funny. I, uh, you know, I really enjoy it. Uh, I don't cook every meal, but I cook some of the big ones and I have fun with it. And nobody loves changing diapers, but I have done my fair share of changing diapers in the past. And uh, I know I'm grateful that our kids are at an age where that's not really that relevant right now. But, uh, and uh, my wife not only takes out the trash, but in Maine, actually, most people don't have garbage service. So, we have to take our trash to the dump and my wife sometimes will take the trash of the dump. She tends not to see a lot of other women there when she goes, though. So Now, uh, I ask this because actually I think of a couple, uh, like probably four or five years ago I, I read an article actually in uh, a Baptist kind of circulation, a Baptist publication uh, that said that, you know, complementarians don't do these kind of things. It was trying to argue that people who believe in biblical gender roles, you know, they're never going to cook dinner, and you know, they don't change diapers, and they're Really anti-woman, uh, that uh, a right basically kind of this egalitarian view is the only view that's going to allow you to do those kind of things, uh, which I, I don't think is accurate. It's testified in our own lives, but uh, but I hope it means that we are less chauvinist than we could be. But you know the fact that we do these things doesn't mean that we deny anything about biblical gender roles. As you said, literally none of these kind of things have anything whatsoever to do with what the Bible teaches. No matter what some. YouTube uh, hosts like to say
1: yeah you know a couple years ago my wife was out cutting the grass just because it needed to be cut I was at work and she had our little boy at the time he was small enough to fit one of those little you know little carrier things that you can wear on you and so she's out there with him on her back and she's cutting the grass and my my neighbor who's in his 80s he's just like man this is something else (laughs) these these new modern women is what he was saying
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, uh, so hey, and I think it, it, that's funny especially cuz doesn't your wife like uh House on the pra- uh what's it called House on the Prairie? Little House on the Prairie. Little house yeah, the prairie, she
1: enjoyed so. reading those stories you know herself and then reading them to our, our little girls and um so yeah that life on the prairie was uh it was not dainty.
0: Yeah, but I was just thinking you know that you you and your family doesn't strike me as you know the as bleeding edge, you know, <laughs> side societal movement. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we alluded to complementarianism and egalitarianism. Some big words. Uh, and what are exactly these things? And which of these do you embrace? Or do you feel like you don't embrace either of them?
1: Uh, complementarianism is the idea that there are distinctive roles for men and women. In, specifically in the church and the home, there's debate within that camp about how far that does it extend to other realms of society like government and you know, those types of things. Uh, Egalitarianism would emphasize uh, the equality of roles, no distinction in roles. Uh, Not necessarily that there's no gender period, um, you know, like a kind of radically politically liberal uh, notion, like gender is a continuum or something. But uh, yeah, so those two sides have been kind of entrenched for a while, at least with those terms. Um, I, fall more on the complementarian side. Um, neither one of those terms are biblical. I mean, they're just references or, you know, nomenclature that people have adopted to try to describe what they think Scripture teaches. But uh, And there's people who believe Scripture, who take it very seriously, who land on both sides. And, I mean, I think we both probably either personally or know of people who um, we may disagree with on this or, or that about this, but we think they're, you know, orthodox. Um, we were joking beforehand we won't name names but about someone who maybe we would agree with on some things but then on other things it's like what are you talking about um and so anyway but yeah I I land more on the complementarian side I mean there's still issues I'm working through and uh what does it look like in this situation or that situation but um to me it does seem that scripture gives some sort of distinction in roles what that looks like that that's a different question and it may in certain cultures look different than others
0: It's good. So I, I would add to that, I just want to add in the definitions, you know, I, I think historically complementarianism, like you said, does stress different roles in the household and in the church. But uh, typically, I mean, it really tries to emphasize that, uh, you know, those are equally valuable and important in, in God's sight. You know, it's not like, you know, tier A and tier B. Uh, they're just different, you know, even though a lot of, in a lot of ways, some of these roles are things that are society, uh, you know, are society that's, All about hierarchy. Ironically, uh, you know, wants to scream. You know, wants to scream that these kind of roles are lesser. But we would, you know, complementarianism would maintain that the distinct roles of man and woman are equally in value, uh, equal in importance for God's kingdom as well. So. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I I would say that for myself as well, I'm, you know, I'm a complementarian and complementarianism, you know, there's, there's kind of been a range. Some people have referred to things as, you know, being soft versus hard complementarian, you know, softer firm and different, you know, uh, different descriptions. You know, for example, like you said, you know, some people take it into other areas, you know, there are complementarians that, for example, say that it's, you know, genetically hardwired things, uh, you know, rather than just something that kind of is like, I would take as more typology rather than anything about dna or anything like or the makeup of a mind uh you know a lot of complementarians would say that you know as for example my dog is named after john knox and john knox was bothered by the idea of a woman being a political leader uh but uh you know that would kind of be a firm complementarian but i i would tend towards you know being kind of more of a soft complementarian i believe you know that women cannot be pastors in the church or preach in the church but uh the and i believe that men are ultimately the spiritual leaders of the household but i I would not you know be bothered by I, i would i would very much celebrate a woman being a CEO or a woman being a president of the United States or something like that. Uh, Although I will acknowledge that actually that was something I progressed on. I remember even at our Bible college, I kind of took a firm stance. There was some debate about, specifically about how this relates to, like, heading up an education department and uh, when we were at college. and, And I probably took more of a kind of cultural complementarianism approach uh, and was bothered by something that I probably, in hindsight, am not bothered by. Now, is complementarianism, because we've defined that, is this just kind of patriarchy that's just trying to reinforce 1950s Americana tropes?
1: Some certainly paint it that way. Uh, I think the best forms, though, are just recognizing that Scripture does speak to distinct roles or, or ways of relating to one another that God has given for male and for female in the church, in the home. So it's not, um, it can become that morph into that, be distorted into that, but just at, at the bare level in it, like I said, the the best form, I don't think that's what it is.
0: Yeah. So I'd agree with that. So, uh, that you know, I, I think what's interesting about this is you know I've heard a lot of I, I asked this question because there's been a lot of popular books that have been read by a lot of evangelicals that basically tries to argue the view that you and I have really is kind of more of a product of 1950s America, you know, American culture, uh, American imperialism as well than it is based on the Bible. But uh, there was that uh, that fact actually is uh, ironically really ethnocentric, that that approach. You know, denying complementarianism is very actually, you know, you're going to find the vast majority of your support to believe in egalitarianism from, you know, very... Uh, you know, European or American sources. The reality <laughs> is that you know, the complementarianism is—it's not just widespread. It, it is the default, and at, at least until fairly recently, and essentially all of Christendom, in South uh, South America, Africa, as well, and places, and even Asia. I mean, that's just that. It, that complementarianism isn't can't be a 1950s American trope because it. You know, we have complementarian brothers and sisters, uh, and ages well past the 1950s, as well as you know, in countries that were not touched by American culture in the 1950s.
1: And but, it's not that they all, you know, that just recently in history that America kind of got the act together on how to treat women. I mean, there were plenty of people who treated women well before that time period. Yeah, they weren't dragging them all around by the hair.
0: Oh, yeah. And and I mean, I'm sure that there have been some, you know, some complementarianism that has kind of used trying to get back to, you know, trying to take the church back uh, to a certain culture that's not biblical. But uh, this really complementarianism has been the near universal position of Orthodox Christians until the late 19th century. And, you know, one can debate, by the way, uh, some people really attack uh, for some theologians that, you know, basically say that, you know, comp- uh, that egalitarianism is a product of denying inerrancy. Eventually, you know, it's kind of on the path towards liberalism, but it's really, really hard to deny that, you know, there are a significant example of, you know, Bible-believing Christians prior to the 19th century uh, that, you know, held anything other than complementarianism. You know, There have been extreme heretical charismatic sex, uh, but, you know, that's that's a bit not a fair analysis in this. But uh, it's funny, actually, to me, because there's, you know, there's a popular book actually uh, written by Beth Allison Barr that, uh, you know, it's very I've allude to it because I think it's popular enough that people might know of it uh, has uh, that that. that you know she tries to base things on you know to prove that this is kind of a 1950s americana truth she bases these things on kind of uh, legends you know uh, legendary people that supposedly were you know christian leaders in the past and you know she even has this kind of hilarious misunderstanding of protestant family sitting together when protestants kind of brought the family together she saw that as like kind of a step towards basically 1950s americana because somehow that was anti-woman Woman to allow women to you know be with their children and their husband. <laughs> so uh, so I think you really have to stretch a lot of history to you know justify that kind of argument that a lot of people are making. so but anyway, so mm. and I mean, I'll even say like I mean, are you aware of, of egalitarianism's growth across the world?
1: Uh, from a historical perspective or even now, um I, I probably not nearly as in tune with it as you are.
0: Yeah. What's, what I think is fascinating, you know, I've done a lot of study on this kind of debate. And ironically, when one asks this questions, the vast majority of egalitarianism across the world is actually kind of being exported from the U.S., being exported from religious movements in the United States. So, you know, the argument that this is that we're being basically <laughs> these Americana pa- patriots, you know, is a little ridiculous when actually the other perspective is, is the one that's only coming from the United States, really.
1: It's cultural imperialism.
0: It is, ironically. Yeah, it's cultural imperialism <laughs> that likes to wag the stick at the other view. So,
1: Yes, the beam and the speck. And the
0: <laughs> now, what does the Bible say about gender roles in the church and home? Uh, I assume it doesn't at all, right?
1: <laughs> well, it doesn't give us all the specifics about who's supposed to cook and uh, do the taxes and that kind of stuff. Um, but it, the Bible is clear that male and female are both made in god's image we're on equal footing before god and and before the cross i mean paul makes a provocative statement that some take to defend a position of just you know that all distinctions are done away with but in galatians how there's no male and female there's no slave nor free uh this kind of thing doesn't seem to be to me the point is that he's just doing away with all gender distinctions but uh, we're all called to love and serve one another in the church. We're called, all called to submit to human authorities, um, just a number of things where uh, I've been looking at 1 Peter recently, and he's Peter's writing to a church that is persecuted and or marginalized in the culture, and he gives uh, instructions to groups such as slaves, and he addresses women. He addresses husbands as well, but he spends more time on the women, um, but he, he's— Highlighting the need for submit proper submission to human authorities as a way of commending the gospel, and he does it. Um, you know, it's just the the person who has less power in the culture. But um, he, in, in addressing those groups, he's giving them dignity. He's saying, "You have yeah. moral responsibility before God. It's not just that your husband does or your master does; you do." And uh, so, all of us are called. Uh, and have responsibility before God and one another. And men and women do a lot of the same stuff in the church, those things that I was just talking about. Uh, one exception is that Scripture specifies that only men who meet certain qualifications, and they're mainly character qualifications, are to serve. And I use that term very intentionally, um, not just be in the role, but to serve in the role, the office of an elder, overseer, pastor, you know, just me uses the terms interchangeably, but in the sense that they're teaching God's Word to the, the whole congregation, and by doing that, exercising spiritual authority, um, you know, all Christians are submitting to someone. Yeah. And there's no group of... I heard uh, I think it was Lig Duncan say one time that there's no group of Christians, no subset of them, who doesn't submit to somebody. Like We, we are all doing that, and so uh, pastoring isn't about glory and, and lording it over people. It is about serving, and we, we follow in the footsteps of the good shepherd
0: yeah.
1: um, in the homes wives are commanded to voluntarily arrange themselves underneath the authority of their husband not all women are submit to all men the, the wives are to submit to their own husbands um, and the husbands also are commanded to lay down their lives for their wives it's not just well wives submit and the husbands are never told make sure she does this She's told to do that and then husbands are told to do their own uh, giving themselves away and uh, living in an understanding way, showing honor that that was very counterculture in you know ancient greco-roman society. Uh, and so again, there's, there's equal in value but slightly different seats on the plane, if you will.
0: yeah. By the way, I find it so fascinating, you know, the first Peter passage, First Peter 3, 1 through 7 you allude to. You know, it makes such clear gender roles. But the really the thing we miss on that is like Peter really says nothing about consequences for, you know, a woman that doesn't submit. I mean, obviously it's sin to disobey the Bible. But I mean, what he says for a husband that doesn't like go to the radical step of essentially laying down his life for life for his wife, it says God doesn't hear his prayers. Whoa.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's like God's watching and he cares a lot about this one.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, so that's a huge part of this. Yeah, I agree. Those are, you know, important. I mean, you stress some of these, but I mean, 1 Timothy, I mean, to me, actually, I remember I... uh, I had to think through this issue when I was in high school and the passage that stuck out to me so much was really 1st Timothy 2.12. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise or a man, rather she to remain quiet. And you know, there's a lot in context that I think seems to show that's in the context of the local church and the preaching ministry. Uh, but, you know, I think you really lined out a lot of passages, but I will add, I think that pastoral qualifications are extremely important here. I mean, even you can read on your own Titus chapter one, for example, but I mean, yeah, I mean, these qualifications they make clear you know uh, a woman cannot be a husband of one, uh, one wife you know what I mean and uh, it's just not possible well,
1: not according to scripture
0: yeah I mean even you know first consistently he is he is to be I mean in the Greek it's even more clear you know I mean this is it's a man uh that uh, you know that aspires that I mean this is pretty definitive that you know and, and again I I mean, I'll probably say more on this later, but we need to understand also very clearly that I think in that, you know, it's not that... You know, all men can rule over all, lead all women in the church, but it's that certain men—that means certain qualifications—can function as elders. There's no other thing, I think, that the New Testament teaches in that. You know, it doesn't teach. You know, that a uh, you know woman is not allowed to you know to hold open a door, (laughs) and a man has to, or you know that, or nor does it teach. I know of a church that. I'm taught that every woman in the church is to submit to every man in the church. And that, that is nowhere in the Bible, is it?
1: No, no, that's a distortion. <laughs> and there are, like you said, certain men that are gifted uh, with these qualifications. And it's not that it's about who's up and who's down. I mean, they're in a position to, to serve. I mean, Jesus got down the night before he gave his life away and was like in his underwear washing people's feet. Um, and so it's not about exercising power and, you know, and, and I mean, it's our cultural moment influences some of that. And even people who are not like fully on board with critical theory and all that kind of stuff, you know, it, it can seep in, um, and just viewing the debate in terms of who has power and who doesn't. Yeah. It's not really the most helpful way of looking at this. It's not about power. Um, yeah. And so.
0: Now, how does this all intersect with important theology, theological truths?
1: Well, I think it connects to the gospel. Um, I mean, we're told in marriage about how it's a a beautiful portrayal of Christ and his relationship to the church and how we interact. Uh, it also, in some ways, to some extent, touches on issues within the Trinity. Now, there's debates mm. about this that have raged and um, on, on the interwebs and, you know, whether in eternity, the, the son has submitted to the father that scripture doesn't really get into that. Uh, some people have sort of worked and you talked about this. I don't even remember what we were talking about, but several episodes ago, I remember you talking about this, that, uh, some that that hold that position have sort of worked from human marriage back into the Trinity versus looking at scripture and then kind of filtering down but you do see at least when when the son took on flesh, he's on earth, he, he says, you know he's submitting himself to the Father's will. And, and to some extent, the scripture doesn't use the language of submission, but the spirit uh, he proceeds from the Father and the son, he brings attention to the son. So you could maybe you could argue in some way, the spirit is submitting to the other two, but they're always, reading off the, sh- the same sheet of music. They're, they're always in tandem and it's not that there's this power struggle um, there's no division, there's no rivalry they're all together working on the same, joyfully working together to accomplish uh, the same purposes and yeah. so I mean it, it touches on some of that, this unity and diversity and um, it, you know in ways that we just are scratching the surface
0: Yeah, that's good too so. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that some people have made uh, this really a social trinity issue, I mean, with the trinity, and and have done a lot, said a lot more than the Bible says, and that kind of stuff, in a way that can be really dangerous. It is... I mean, I think if we were to choose whether we're going to uphold complementarianism or uphold historic doctrines of the Trinity, you know, choose the latter, it should be an easy decision. You shouldn't have to choose either one of them, though. <laughs> but uh, the but I definitely agree. You know, I mean that picture of the gospel. I mean, that to me seems so clearly, especially in marriage. And I think. I think one could, you know, relate that to the church roles in the church. And I tend to think that most of what the Bible says about generals is not because of anything genetic, not because of anything biological, but primarily because it's trying to give this image of, you know, basically the husband represents Christ as the as the wife represents the church. And so, you know, really any time a complementary marriage exists, it's it's kind of like giving away the gospel just a little bit, if that makes sense, which is beautiful. And I mean, God told it that way. I also think it, you know, in terms of ecclesiology or theology of the church, uh, this relates to the question, does the Bible or pragmatism determine our ecclesiology? I mean, I've known so many Christians that are, you know, I mean, why don't we allow these women that are so much more gifted than these men, you know, be in the office of elder or teacher. And I mean, really at that point, I mean, you're getting to pragmatism rather than not, rather than trusting the bible and you know that has gotten us into so many problems in the past
1: ever don carson talk about this you, you mentioned uh, the section in first timothy and gave a lecture tracing the flow of thought from first timothy 2 into chapter 3 and he made a comment at one point he said Yeah, some you know we can explain this and try to seek to understand at some point though, we can't apologize Mm-hmm. Because if, if God has ordered things in such a way, then it, it's to our benefit. And so we need to graciously receive that gift and and see to understand what is he saying. Um, but then, you know, it, we are pushing against the cultural tide where we live. Now, in Saudi Arabia, the believers there are not having in large measure, I don't think, to push against. This is not a cultural pressure they're facing.
0: Yeah, the um, opposite would be. Yeah.
1: And and so, uh, you know, that's important to understand. But this okay, this is what God has given us. And again, not to say that we can't distort it, but that that goes in so many other ways. We can take something God has given and then distort it. And then sort of people go, well, I'll throw the baby out with the bathwater.
0: So why do you think? I mean, we're talking about people throwing the baby out the bathwater. Why has complementarianism been so under fire lately? I assume you're aware of, you know, a lot of a lot of the books that are some of the biggest Christian bestsellers have have kind of waged war against this lately.
1: Well, because there have been abuses, whether abusive people or abusive ideas, distortions of biblical teaching, um, taking. You know, biblical teaching, and then melding it with cultural assumptions and that kind of stuff, and so it's sometimes descended into sexism and mistreatment of women. Um, I mean, there's been things. This is maybe on a, a lower scale, but uh, stuff with Beth Moore. I mean, she's a well-known yeah. figure. How she was treated. Again, not that I, I'm endorsing everything Beth Moore's ever said, but I, I did read when some of the stuff was coming out about her leaving Southern Baptist Church and her partnership with publishing and stuff um she was at some point sharing a stage with some other well-known men pastors or something and they she happened to be taller than one of the speakers and they asked her to not wear high heels because then it would magnify the the height difference and it's just like come on man i mean really just you're not that big just get over it you know it's not like there's something inherent to appearing imposing i mean it's just a pride issue um yeah. so i mean that's kind of silly but then the stuff with me too church to um some sbc scandals and, and the way abuse victims were treated um and, and i've heard the complaint by some and i think there's some legitimacy to this that um Every time an accusation was made that if it was just wholesale, you know, there was just no questions asked, the person who says that this happened, they are to be believed and the person accused is guilty every time. Well, obviously, that's not the case. No. But, I mean, I don't know how to distinguish that line. And so some were concerned about ruining reputations of people who genuinely hadn't done anything wrong. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean every time a woman, you know, she's got to basically prove the case and, uh, this whole stuff with Mars Hill. I mean, that was a big cultural force. And then there's been that podcast, uh, that shed light on a lot of that in recent days. I think maybe it's been out for a year. I don't know. Uh, maybe less than that, but it sparked a lot of discussion. And so there's just been a lot of things that have filtered in, um, that, have gotten people talking about it and, and responding to abuses and distortions of it.
0: Yeah. That's good. So yeah, I would add to that. I think that, this is also, I mean, there's been a lot of moments brought together, and I think even we're kind of in a moment of uh, a new progressive Christianity, which is just liberal Christianity as, uh, you know, as it was called a hundred years ago, and uh, and really a loose play with the Bible, uh, and, you know, and there's, I think, a, there's been this focus on deconstruction and, and mm-hmm. things like that lately, and I think that's kind of all wrapped into it, and I ironically you know it feels very new but it really does go back to the same question asked you know in the garden did god really say and Mm -hmm. so you know it's both new and it's very old at the same time and it's right to ask questions but sometimes I, i fear that we ask questions because we just we want to be accepted by people that are bothered by the offensive message of the gospel rather than that we're asking questions because we really want the truth yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, is there any aversion to comp- uh, now? Is any of this aversion to complementarianism warranted? I would assume you would say yes in light of some of what you said earlier.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there's things you look at and you shake your head, or just put your hand in your your face, uh, or your 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 face in your hands in, in grief. And, I mean, you know, both of us are the father of two daughters. We have wives to whom we love and want them to be treated well and and seek to do that ourselves. Uh, And so, yeah, I mean, I want to see a healthy culture of that in my own family, in my church, and in in the broader society. Um, And and there's distortions of it. But something I've observed just in in multiple contexts is that fallen human nature tends to swing back and forth like a pendulum. Mm -hmm. And so it's just sort of a reaction to this, and you can see it like with, I don't know, church music or something, and people are like, oh no, it's got to be you know hymns and choir robes and this, and other people, like, no man, we need to fire up the guitars and the drums and you know, just go crazy, and then I mean, with alcohol, like, I'm free in Christ, and we're going to have bourbon and Bible study, and we're going to show you we're free, and then others are like, no, if you you know come close to it and touch it, you know, you your soul's in in eternal peril, and we just have. I don't know if it's a function of – I mean, obviously, we have limitations as created beings. But then add fallenness to it, and we just have trouble kind of finding the the wise place. And it's not always in the middle. It's not. Um, but we just react and push far away from the thing that we don't like.
0: Yeah, I definitely think sometimes it's aversion is understandable and maybe a little warranted in light of especially what you said about the church to stuff uh, but i think that what has unfortunately happened is that there's too much of a linking between you know church sexual abuse and complementarianism and then when it does that it, it doesn't know what to do with somebody like bill hybels bill hybels who was an outspoken you know egalitarian he like despised people teaching that the uh, biblical ideas of gender roles and yet he was you know, I mean, for all the accusations people can make for a lot of these, you know, that a lot of these people abusing the roles, I mean... Bill Hybels was as bad, if not worse, and, and the abuses that he committed against women. Uh, but, uh, you know, and so I think some, but at the same time, we need to acknowledge that some sexists have used this theology conveniently. I mean, again, I think uh, we talked about it earlier, I'm not going to name the leader, but, you know, a popular Christian leader just a few weeks ago said that, you know, women are genetically predisposed to make the sandwiches. And, uh, and that's not, you know, that's not biblical that is sexist. That is chauvinism. And all that this person, when he calls himself a complementarianism doing, and people like that, they're just using complementarianism as a cover for their chauvinism. And that's not what complementarianism is.
1: No, no.
0: Now, how does complementarianism intersect with next generation ministries? I know we've talked a lot about before getting to this, but it's an important question, I think.
1: Well, I mean, next generation ministries are filled with males and females, um, both kids and leaders, and you're ministering to the the male and female parents of those kids. And those parents are raising kids and they need to be able to equip them to understand how to operate. According to God's design, and to have wisdom to navigate between Bible and culture, and what does it look like uh, for me to be a man, for me to be a woman, um, in the context of a family, in the context of the local church, and you know, there's a lot that's the same, but there are some differences yeah. of, of what that's going to look like. And Scripture outlines that. I mean, you, we've gone to uh, the pastoral epistles, and I mean, Titus, he he does give instructions to the older women to mentor the younger women doesn't say Titus you need to mentor the older women he, he's to teach what accords with sound doctrine and teach to the whole church um, he's not as well equipped to teach uh, the younger women how to do some of those things that the older women are better equipped to do and so um, anyway I mean there's just there's some differences in how it works out but a lot of it is the same but yeah. uh, having some and, and our, you know our culture Um, we're ministering, at least assuming most of our listeners are are in the West. Um, I mean, we see some people come in from various places, but um, you're going to be facing some of those cultural pressures that would say, no, 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 did God really say?
0: Yeah. Well, One, I just think from a practical standpoint, I mean, I think this intersects with that as well because, I mean, I, I think we use that as more important than this, but we have to ask the question, I mean, can women teach teens? and a church for example i mean that's next generation ministry can and a similar question can they be a children's director in a church Uh, Well, you know, can they be a children's pastor in a church? Uh, And so, you know, you can't segment this off from discussions about complementarianism or egalitarianism. If you do, you're just defaulting to egalitarianism. Uh, And again, I'm not saying that complementarians can't have accept these kind of things, but you have to think about it or else you're just kind of caving into cultural assumptions about gender. Yeah. Now, with that question, is woman teaching boys or overseeing kids' curriculum a clear? as clear of an issue as woman preaching? You know, is it something where, you know, you're, you're a feminist if you believe a woman can be a children's director or you're a feminist if you believe that a woman can uh, be one of the teachers for this junior high group, for the senior high group?
1: I don't think so. I, I think those are issues that, you know, deserve discussion and you need spirit-filled wisdom on what it looks like in different contexts, but I don't think those are nearly as clear cut as, you know, what you referenced First Timothy two and about a woman uh, teaching or exercising authority over a man, it seems to be functioning in the role of an elder, you know, teaching the whole church. And you know, there's there's clear Paul is prohibiting something. There's yeah. debate about you know, well, can she preach under the authority of the elders or this kind of, but it's clear there is some form of prohibition. So you're either gonna say Paul uh, is wrong or okay, how do we bring ourselves in line with it? But it doesn't get this specific and you know I've heard people talk about well, the Jews regarded boys as men at this age and just because ancient Jews regarded you know a 14 year old boy this way, does that mean that then, once once they hit that age in our church, I don't think it's you can draw those again. You're borrowing off cultural things, not necessarily Bible. It, even if it was a culture that was influenced by the Bible, yeah. Um, I mean, the Jews they did a lot of things um, that they went beyond scripture or they fell short of scripture. Um, you know, just look at the exile and yeah. just look at the Pharisees and you know things like that. So um, I think we have to be careful there and, and show charity. Uh, or, or love. I, I heard something recently and heard it, you know, in the King James. And the greatest of these is charity. But love show love to and, and humility with those with whom we disagree. I yeah. don't think these are first level you know, DEFCON one issues.
0: Yeah, so that's a good point. Yeah, I do think it's interesting you bring up that you know the fourteen and stuff like that. It's it's tricky, uh, I, you know. And I had to think through this, especially as I worked more with teens in the previous role I was at. Uh, but uh, you know, and it is interesting because I looked up and tried to see where my conscience is going to be in it. You know, most Scott biblical scholars, both of the Old Testament and New Testament, have tended to see a link between puberty and adulthood. Uh, but you know, lots of Bible passages, as you know, even a complementarian like John Piper would point out, seem to make this, uh, complicated. I tend to see, you know, when people bring up, oh, you know, there's, you know, this, you don't go to war until you're significantly older, you know, there's, I think 25 at one time. Um, one time if I remember right correctly but you know some of them in the 20s and things like that I tend to see that less of an adulthood question and more of you know you're allowing young adults that are freshly married to have kids so because you don't want to kill off a generation <laughs> through war I mean that's pretty fu- I mean that's historically even countries have done that set kind of a, 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 basically a second level of adulthood just based upon allowing you know young married people to have have children so that you know you don't kill off the entire <laughs> the entire country. Uh, but uh, so I would personally not support a woman teaching teen boys in light of this. Uh, but, uh, but be fine with a woman overseeing kids curriculum under the oversight of male elders. But again, I think you know there's strong Bible believing complementarians that would disagree with me on that and I respect that. That's I understand that. You know, I would stand arm in arm with those who disagree with me on that. But I, ne- I will add, by the way, in the question of like whether or not, you know, women should be under, woman children's directors should be under the oversight of elders as kind of a sexism thing. I, I think there's a problem if any of the teaching ministries of a church is not under the oversight of the elders. So I don't think this is a gender issues thing. This is a, you know, the elders are responsible for all teaching ministries of the church at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I mean, Paul talks to the Ephesian elders about um, how the Holy Spirit has made you overseers uh, over this flock. And so he kind of throws down the Holy Spirit card. um, I think that's an appropriate place. And so, um, yeah, I think you're right.
0: So how do we explain why the local church has these different gender roles to young people at church?
1: Um, in a very basic way. I would say God made us to flourish, and he knows what we need. He made us alike in a lot of ways, but there are some ways in which we're different, and that's good for us too, that we have these differences. And there are ways in which we complement one another, and it's to work together for the mission of bringing glory to God, making people uh, into the image of Christ. And so all of us are submitting to each other to serve each other. And so, I mean, it I mean, in Ephesians 5, right before it gets to wives, verse 21 says uh, to submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, and then picks up with mid-sentence with the wives. And so when we're doing that, in a sense, we are submitting to another person. We're putting ourselves underneath them to to build them up. But it does seem that that term can be used in multiple ways. There there are different nuances there. Um, And so, Anyway, God has gifted some people in the church, um, some men in the church, and, and you know, just the church at large out there, and then in our local church, to teach God's word and to give spiritual oversight, kind of like a dad, like a spiritual dad. Yeah. And we we shouldn't think about it so much as well. Who's in charge? And you know, who who gets the privilege and the power and the status? I mean, like I don't know in, in the churches you've involved a, you know, if there was like this special room for the pastors where there was you know uh-huh. dainty meats put out and you know people <laughs> coming like do all these things for you and fan you. I mean, that's not been my experience. People have treated us well, but you know, yeah. it's not like that. Um, but though my father-in-law was at a funeral and it was, became known that he was a pastor and they invited mm-hmm. him up to this elevated table and like the head guy, he had someone who was cutting his, his food for him. Um, I mean, it's just crazy, but anyway, it, it's not so much about who's in charge, who's got the power. It's more like, where are we going? And, okay, th- those are some line leaders, and we're gladly following the line leaders because we see that they're taking us where we need to go. And not like, oh, we're the church that's going to be the, this super specific you know, vision, like in a, a business uh, sense, but they're leading us towards Christ-likeness. They're leading us towards doing what we can to fulfill the Great Commission, And so yes, we're going along behind those leaders
0: over there. Yeah, that's good. So I like the line leaders, that analogy. I think that's really good. So but yeah, I'll just add. I think a couple things. I think we need to explicitly teach some of these passages, you know, that we mentioned, even at a fairly young age. I think of an example of, you know, how even young kids think about this. So I know of a a boy that was, uh, you know, a boy that I think this uh, boy was like six years old at this time, and uh, he was playing with his sisters, and the boy was pretending to be a pastor, and then one of his sisters, uh, you know, said, you know, pretending to be a pastor, and said, you know, she went to be a pastor one day, and and then the mother of these children had to kind of explain, you know, the Bible teaches, and uh, this boy, the boy, uh, that was you know heard that had, had responded to his mother that and because he saw this woman that was functioning as a pastor function kind of as administrative pastor but wasn't he asked his mother you know but this person's a, uh, a pastor and she's a girl and you know and i th- and without being prompted and i think that was you know a d- illustration of how you know even kids think about this kind of stuff or you know i went on a kids camp uh, at another church that i was at i took some kids to uh like a summer camp thing and i i had sl- I just made kind of a nerdy comment, comment about ecclesiology and a gospel talk I was giving, and they were like hanging on it, and it spent, into one of the devotion times, kind of explained, they wanted to understand why. Uh, older, like children's ministry kids, want to understand exactly why you know the gender roles in the church exist, why you know biblical ecclesiology and shared leadership exists, and how that works. What's an elder and deacon? And it's like they care about these kind of things more than we realize it. Uh, know. You know, and then even for older age, I think we should welcome them to ask as teens and engage in how the world sees it, because you know I'm sure that a teen's going to see you know oh the feel at times like maybe the church as being sexist and if we don't explain the biblical teachings and how we're not being you know chauvinist i think they might default to the association the world has anyway so so how do we pass on complementarianism to our kids without passing down sexism at the same time ben
1: the thing that to me i think is very important is to help them wrestle with what scripture says um i know i mean this is in a different context but luther talked about reading james and uh or maybe it was with paul and and he was like beating on the apostle paul to to understand what it was he was saying and i think we want to help them wrestle with what does the text actually say and then to be able to discern between okay these are scriptural commands scriptural principles and this is culture and you know women making the sandwiches that's culture. you know, I mean, what if the husband just likes to cook and the wife doesn't? And he's like, "Hey, this is a way I can serve the family." I don't think the Lord's gonna look and be like, "What are you doing? I mean i I genetically made her to make the sandwiches. Um, yeah, but you know, in another context, though, you know, maybe there's sometimes there's a, a mixture of Bible and culture and, and okay, how much of this is good do we take, and how much of this do we? are we free to push aside because it's not given to us, you know, from the Lord. And so just helping them think through those things, raising questions for them, especially as they age. But I mean, even before that, just modeling it well uh, in our home and and being a part of a church that's modeling that well too.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I add, I think just, I think is wise to limit what we teach in complementarianism to where scripture speaks. Uh, And, you know, and don't, overly give the impression that this is something about biology, uh, you know, mm-hmm. beyond what we understand about the brain, for example, uh, j- and because I, uh, sometimes some well-meaning Christians can fudge some understandings of the human brain, for example. Uh, but I, and, and, and On the response, instead of that, I say that we should delight in the gospel connections that it teaches and teach that we trust God, even if we don't understand the reasons why, Uh, you know, that why exactly these roles are there, why God would do this. You know, we we trust God because God is wiser than us.
1: Yeah, that's good.
0: So then, you know, if you're in youth ministry or even older children's ministry, what do we say to the teen girl who feels called to ministry and thinks we are not letting her use her gifts?
1: I think what you want to thank God for her desire to serve. She wants to build others up. Uh, I would think you want to point her to scripture and let her wrestle with it herself. And then you want to walk alongside her or give her someone who can do that. And expose her to godly, faithful women who do model using their gifts well. I think, too, and, and this can be the case whether she's a girl who thinks she should be a pastor, or, I mean, I, I know uh, one time I, there was a guy that I knew who was in high school, and he was thinking about becoming a missionary, and I was asking him, so why is that? And he goes, well, because of how people treat you. Like, they really have a lot of respect for you. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you might need to go read and you know, second Corinthians, um, Paul talking about the super apostles and and things like that. It's not about that. And so sometimes I think we did a whole episode on spiritual gifts and how it's not about my self-expression or my self-identity. Uh, the gifts are for the benefit of others. And so, you know, the question is not like, well, what am I doing? Or what do I enjoy doing? You know, it's what are the needs? How can I seek to meet those needs with how God has made me? And so helping her to think through that, and, um, because chances are, if she's growing up as a kid in the West, there's going to be a, some notions of self-expression and self-identity and, and all that that are probably pretty close to her mind. And so I think you want to work on that. But that, that's, that's touchy. I mean, what would you say?
0: I brought up this question because recently I was listening to podcasts from other Christians that have different viewpoint than us and they kind of brought this up and they kind of suggested you know to say that you know she doesn't isn't being called to be pastor is to kind of stifle the Holy Spirit but I, I actually thought in light of this kind of question and I've encountered this with people how insanely arrogant is it for us to proclaim ourselves the arbiter of what the Holy Spirit is revealing you know to say you know that you know I feel this way and therefore Therefore, and therefore, this has therefore everyone has to submit to what I feel the Holy Spirit is telling me. You know what I mean that is. Arrogant. I mean, that is. I mean, in the past, speaking in that kind of bold way, I mean, you would have been called a cult leader. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Bible, actually, the Bible talks little of such kind of callings, whether for men and women, and all gifts, like we mentioned, are for the service of the church that are built upon the Word of God. Uh, so, really, our giftings are what others, under the authority of Scripture, affirm in us. It's never been about what we see in ourselves, chiefly. Um, you know, and woman and man, men who pursue ministry like uh they are the blues brothers in this kind of way really that's you know a lot of ways i feel like any whether it be a man or a woman when you kind of have the i'm called by god don't get in my way you're acting like the blue blues brothers rather than anything biblical and you're going to end up hurting the church with your narcissism by thinking you know you know i'm called by god you know don't get in my way so, you know, I think this speaks to even a larger problem. So, yeah, I think that's, you know, maybe what you said is a better response to her, but I think this speaks to issues that we need to deal with. Now, how should a Christian family respond if their church is not as complementarian as they, as they like? Should they leave the church immediately if the church is not the exact same complementarian stance that they have?
1: Yeah, I mean, they sh- you should also fire up a real... Uh, Real pointed, heated social media post as well. Mm, good call. Um, the more outrage, the better. <laughs> uh, I think that you want to approach, you know, the church leadership uh, humbly and, and just ask some questions. Hey, I've noticed this because it could be that it's a very unintentional thing that someone hasn't thought about it. Um, it could be that it is very intentional, and so just trying to find out. Hey, where do you stand on these issues? How do we work this out? Um, in this, or work this out, not like, hey, we've got this problem, you've got to appease me, but like, um, how does this work out in the life of our congregation? And, you know, it could be a good opportunity for that kind of discussion and and helping each other in the Lord. But uh, a lot of humility, I I think, is how you want to approach that. And I mean, if it gets down to it, if, if you, the church wants to nominate, you know, Susie, Sister Susie, to be the next elder or the next you know, senior pastor, and you're like, I don't think Scripture teaches that. I, at that point, you don't have a whole lot of option, uh, I think. The church is that far along on that road. Um, but it, it, it may not be that kind of situation. I mean, there, there are some issues in this. It, that's more of a second-level kind of thing. We've talked about theological triage and, uh, that's more of a second level. Like, I, I think there are people who disagree with you and me on this. They're genuinely believers in Christ, but it is going to affect your ability to fellowship in the same church. Yeah. Uh because like, ah, we just, you know, we can't, we can't do both. Um, and so there are times when you, you're going to have to do that, but there's other times with like, you raise the issue of the, you know, overseeing the curriculum, or some of those kinds of things. That that's lower level and yeah. we don't need to, you know, raise this this raise the alarm kind of thing. Uh, it's like, no, we can handle this as You know kind of calm we don't have to do the pendulum swing and and go crazy
0: yeah i think you answered a lot about assessing where this is on the complementariness scale and and i do think you know if your church leadership is flagrantly following the culture over scripture uh, you should talk to them but then it might be time to think about a future church You know, I mean, like nominating a woman pastor, but if your particulars don't just don't line up, I mean, think of, you know, a woman teaching senior high uh, high schoolers uh, that, you know, it's probably wise, respectfully not have your family in those ministries that would violate your conscience while still serving in the church. You know, Mm -hmm. that, you know, supporting the church and even praying for that ministry. But, you know, you don't, the Bible doesn't say that you have to, you know, agree with the children's ministry perspective and everything, for example, in your church. Right. Now, why does this issue matter for next generation and family ministries, uh, even if it's not the gospel?
1: Well, it's not all or nothing. And it's not like, okay, this is not first level, then it's just completely irrelevant. I mean, there's other things that do matter that the Lord has revealed. You know, it, it's going to affect how we operate and relate to one another in our homes and in our churches, what churches we're a part of or what churches we're not a part of. Um, and we live in a massively gender-confused culture that is fighting against God's design. And uh, that, that works itself out in a number of ways, some that are more obvious than others, but it is something that is clearly um, a place of attack by the enemy. Yeah. And so trying to humbly and lovingly operate within that, uh, I think it is important. And obviously the gospel takes primacy, but just because this is, is not at that first tier doesn't mean we just ignore it. Because at some point you have to make decisions about some of these things. You yeah. can't just, you know, like you said, you, you will end up defaulting to a certain position because you will be swayed by the culture. Yep. Yeah. And that's whether you're here or you're in some other place where the cultural assumptions are different.
0: Yeah, I would add to that. I, I think further with this issue, to me, actually, we're going through theological triage with our church on Wednesday nights. And uh, But I think this the Bible is so clear on this issue that it's not a gospel issue. But this is kind of like a precancerous thing. I've heard other leaders describe it as that, you know. It, not just because something's not cancer doesn't mean it's not alarming. And, uh, you know, and to me, I think this isn't even like other secondary issues that in ways because the, you know, I think disagreement on this is often a question in hermeneutics an approach to the bible uh you know and i think further this matters because if this is meant as a, top, a typology especially in marriage we are really kind of undermining our living witness of the gospel by that because you know god created us thus uh you know and i think for our kids even when we raise kids you know if our kids go to churches with such hermeneutics such approach to the bible that you know is really, I mean, you're compromising the culture for the Bible. You, you know, that you're running dangerously with the Bible. I mean, really, the arguments that people make from that the Ephesians passage for, you know, egalitarianism is the same argument that people are going to make for homosexuality from that passage. And, you know, they're going to be running with danger. And so I think this is something we need to take extremely, extremely seriously, even if it is not a gospel issue.
1: Yes, you're right.
0: All right. Well, the I hope that uh, nobody takes this as an excuse to get out of making sandwiches. Or, you know, maybe if you're a man or woman, you should go and make your own sandwich, or just serve your spouse when making a sandwich, right? Then.
1: Yes, yes. When you default to serving the other.
0: Amen. So, all right. Well, it's good talking to you, brother. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.